Well, good morning. Well, that was really weak. You guys all drove here in the snow and weather to get here? You should do a little better than that, don't you think? Good morning. Oh, there we go. Wonderful. They're trying to set me up with technology. We hope it works. It also weighs about three pounds. It's a little heavy. Yeah. We're trying. Uh, you don't know me, at an, at, but I, I really love PowerPoint. I love slides, and so bear with me. I think there's 93 of them today, <laughs> so, which means I should be here about 11:30. We should finish probably. Not not quite true. Uh, have you noticed? Have you noticed that that Christmas is in the stores these days already? So we want to start a little bit of a background for Christmas. We're going to talk a little bit about. Um, setting up for some Christmas messages and setting up for a new series in the new year. And also over the next two weeks, I want to tell you the why of Christmas and I'll share my heart with you as we get to know one another. Uh, I do want you to realize, as you know already, you've heard from Pastor Frank that there's a chat survey. Uh, let me say to you, I've been just went through a church that did this. It's amazing, the, the implications and the help. The more of you that fill it out, the better it is. You've already got it. If you tried, it doesn't work because it starts today. If you have email and you have not received the email yet, would you please call the office or talk to this lovely young lady in our, in our Pastor Kayla today, in our, in our foyer as you leave today, down in this corner, I think. And if you do not have email, would you please go talk to her and get a letter from her that will tell you how to get on the chat survey and how to set up an appointment to make it work. It really matters. It's really important. And it changes things. I'm honored to be your interim pastor. I've, as, as, as it's already been mentioned by John Mark, I spent a week with your staff, and they're incredible. I've met with your board, wonderful people, and they care about this church and its future and about you, and I'm honored, I'm honored to be here. Has anyone ever asked you the question, what? What are you doing? People are naturally curious. Have you noticed that people are nosy and, sorry, curious? Have you noticed that people are a little curious from time to time? Maybe you as well. <laughs> when, I was, when I was a teenager, we lived in the country. We actually had a phone that had seven or eight people on the line. And the phone would ring. It's hilarious. None of you, some of you, you have no idea, some of you, about this at all. And, you know, everybody would answer. And they'd all listen. Finally, you get hard to hear you say, would you, the rest of you hang up? This is my call. So they'd hang up, and then the phone got clear. Somebody would call and give a recipe, and eight people had her for dinner that night. It was incredible. <laughs> incredible. What are you doing? Uh, that's a question about what's being done. It's an action word. Uh, the other question that often people ask is the word how. What is that like? It's another action word. And so let me go back to it. I'm just trying to figure out how to do this. Um, this how, how are you? What, 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 what's going on in your life? How does how, how, how this all work? I, I, I remember, it is an action word as well, but I remember, I, I remember when Sheila and I first got married. Sheila's my wife of 54 years. I'm 76 for all of those of you that are wondering. Probably nobody cares, and I don't really either, but 54 years, and I remember when we first got married, we both came from fairly dysfunctional homes, to be honest with you. Her parents had been separated for 10 years, got back together, and had three more kids, and my parents, I was an afterthought in our family, uh, three older kids, and then I came along numbers of years later, but our parents weren't, weren't great. And, and so when we got married, we had no idea how to be married at all. Anybody like that besides me? You don't have to put up your hand. Uh, and I remember we got to this little church in Deep River, Ontario, and we saw these two couples, and they were amazing. And I don't know why, but they adopted us. 
And we learned from them how to be husband and wife. We just, we modeled our lives after their marriage. It was incredible. What a gift that was to us. To this day, we're still grateful to them. But the real question I want to focus on today is the question, why? Why why is a different question than what, which is an action word, or how, which is an action word? Why is actually a motive word? It's a reason word. And this is not working. It's just changing here, but not on here. Let's try this one. It's a motive word. It talks about the reasons why we do the things we do. It's really, it really matters. It makes a difference. And sometimes it can be both positive and negative. You notice that? Some of the words that people ask and the why and the reasons behind them. It's inc- interesting to me that when Jesus is in ministry, the Pharisees often came to him and they asked the why question. They asked the what and the how too. But they actually said, okay, what, what, what do you mean you healed somebody on the Sabbath? How could you do that? And they asked the how question, like, what do you mean you let your, how, how could you let your disciples pick corn on the Sabbath? How could you do that? But they also addressed him with the why question. See, and the why question speaks to the inner heart of who we are. And it, it influences us and the decisions we make and how we make them. I got pondering all of this. I am adding to the word in a minute, but I got pondering all of this. I got thinking of a number of areas that motives matter or the reason matters or the why matters. And so let's just run through a few of the how and why and it makes sense to us. Uh, Here we go. Children. How many love children? Oh, good. We're going to be in good company. I love children. I love children. I'm a grandfather. You probably don't know. This is my claim to fame. I love children, but I really love grandchildren. I'll talk about that another time. Have you ever noticed that they're not all children behave? So I like children that behave, and and here's some motives behind why children, you might want them to behave. You, You want them to behave because of what others would think of you if they didn't. There are parents like that. Or you might want them to behave because it makes your life easier. Or you might want them to behave because you actually want what's best for them. You see, here's the deal, folks. (laughs) The results might be the same. The children behave. But the outcome might be incredibly different. But the motive is what drives us. And so there's no one standard motive for, for everyone at all. Let me, let me move on. How about dating? Some people date because they want someone to marry, and somebody date because they're looking to be someone to marry. There is a slight difference in those two. Did you notice that? Are you with me so far? Oh, I hope so. Marriage, a little longer. Some people marry to get out of a difficult situation, and marriage offers a new option. I have a master's degree in counseling. I've only done marriage counseling. I don't do any of it anymore. I'm too old now. But I have met all the reasons why people marry, and I've met lots of people who marry to run away from something, to run to something. Sometimes people marry to find somebody to care for them. They just want to be cared for. Somebody look after me, please. I kind of like a little of that, don't you? Others marry because they have a romantic view of life and they dream of knights on white horses. So I've met some couples that are more in love with love than with each other. <laughs> oh, hilarious. And some might be married because they want an adult, mature, mutual, loving, and giving relationship. They're all motives. They're all why. They're all reasons. But you see the differences? Amazing. And then what about work? Only two more of these. 
Some people work because they like to eat. <laughs> they don't really enjoy what they do, but they have to do something to make a living, and so they work. Some people work because of the benefits attached, power and position, prestige, toys, whatever it might be. Some people, some people work so one day they might stop working. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> I haven't enjoyed retirement that much just in passing. Some people work because they're driven to do so and almost addicted to it. It's a little bit unhealthy. They leave a lot of other things behind sometimes. Some people work because it's a healthy thing to do. They delight in their skills and talents are all used and they feel enabled and they love work. I don't know what category you fit in, but these are all motives, reasons, the why. And maybe church. I thought we should do one more, just church. Why do people come to church? Well, they were raised in it as a child and it just seems right. So we show up. Sometimes we, uh, we find it lonely and it's a place of friendship and relationship. Sometimes we're hurting. It's a place where we get support. All these are good reasons. There's nothing wrong with them at all. We fear God and we come with a sense of guilt or judgment if we don't come. That's not quite so healthy. Sometimes because someone else makes them come. <laughs> I made my children come to church when they were little. Didn't you? So I come having come into a relationship with Jesus and they're seeking to grow in him. Or they become because worship and ministry is serving and knowing God is life to them. All motives, all reasons, all the letter, the word, why. You see, why, why actually... Motive actually matters. Why matters. Motive matter. As I was thinking about coming to be your interim pastor, I must confess the Lord put a verse of scripture in my heart to get us started for the next two weeks. And we'll actually use it as a background for all of December. It's the most familiar verse in all of scripture. If you ever watch a sporting event on television, you'll often see it in the background on the screen. So what verse am I talking about? Thank you. All three of you got it right. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. It's called the little gospel by someone. I really like that. Here's the why it's called the little gospel. Not that the gospel is little, but these few words sum up the entire plan and the purpose of God. Everything we need to know about God is right there. That God gave his son for us, his one and only son. God gave us his son. Now, the truth is that in giving us his son, he gave us everything, the best of. We're going to talk about that a little more as we spend some time together. What does he mean when he says, for God so loved the world? See, this is the heart of it. This is, this is the motive of it. This is... See, the truth of the matter is, the fact is, the action is that God gave his son. But what I discovered in preparing this verse is something I've never seen before. Why did God do that? What was the motive behind it? What was the reason behind it? And the reason is simple. For God so loved the world. Now, when we talk about world here, we don't want to miss the fact that he actually cares about the environment. But that's not what he's talking about here. I still recycle. I still care about the world. Don't you want to hand our grandkids a good, healthy world? We should be involved in that. We should care about that as the church. But what he's really talking about here is the only part of his creation that's made in his image. That's you and me. 
You and I were made in the image of God. And when God says, for God so loved the world, well, I so loved the world, he's talking about you and me. That's who he's talking about. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of John 3.16. And in this text, we find out why. God loves me. That's the truth. That's the heart of it. God loves me. Would you say it to yourself? God loves me. About four of you cooperated. It may not go faster. It may just seem to go faster if you participate. Would you say it to yourself, God loves me? God loves me. That's, that's, that's what it says. That's, that's the why. That's, that's the motive behind everything that God does. Now, friends, I've discovered that we struggle with this for two reasons, two main reasons. The first is that God is so above us. He's so much bigger than us. You see, and, and, we, and we misunderstand God's love because all of us, when we love, there's, there's emotion attached to it, and we get love back from people, and there's give and take. You see, it's, and we get some needs met when we love people, and they get needs met when we love them. But that's not true of God at all. This is so important that God loves us because he chooses to love us, and God loves us freely, and the reason he can do that is he doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. I don't want you to be offended by that, but that's so important. We actually believe in a God in Trinity and unity. And what that simply means is this. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but it's one God. And the Godhead, the three persons in the Godhead, are so in harmony and there's so much love in the Godhead that they are completely fulfilled. There's no need of anything on the earth. There's no need of anything he's created. There's no need in him that's satisfied by you or I. And while he delights when we come to know him and receive his love. There's nothing satisfied in God when that happens. And that sets God free to love unconditionally. It sets God free to love by choice. It sets God free to love out of his heart that he can absolutely love you and me whether we're lovable or not. It doesn't matter. God chooses to love us. Wow. It's incredible when you think about it. It's amazing. It's so free, and it's so hard sometimes for fallen human beings to understand how deep that love is. I, uh, I was thinking about this message, and I was having a conversation with one of the board members, and a story came up about the birth of a grandchild, and I was remembering the birth of my son, Luke. Now, I have to tell you, that's not really a picture of my son, Luke. And the reason for that is we have lived in two places and this somehow the pictures of my son Luke are in an old album that we have no idea where the albums are, but there's some kind of a box somewhere. But I picked this picture on purpose because when my son was born, he had red hair. He still has red hair. I met two wonderful children today who have red hair. <laughs> wonderful. Now, why red hair? Not a big deal, folks. I would have taken any color hair at all. I don't have a lot to choose from. But he had red hair. And, and he was born in the Catherine Booth Hospital in the city of Montreal. And it was kind of different in those days. I didn't go in when he was born. They were discouraged it, actually, in those days, a long time ago. My son's almost 50 now. But I remember being there, and they would put all these babies in bassinets, and they would, they would line them all up behind this glass wall, and the parents and grandparents and family would come, and, and they would look in the glass at their babies. These little bassinets. Can, can I be honest? I, I feel bad about this, but I actually felt sorry for the other parents. Because 
they would look at their son and, and their daughter, and you could tell they loved them. But their, I would watch them. Their eyes would drift to my son. And there was envy in their voices and envy in their eyes and envy in their heart. And I felt bad because he was mine and I was taking him home. That's not quite true. But here's what is true. I remember holding him for the first time. And I couldn't get over how much I loved him. And I had just met him. And he didn't even know I existed. And at that moment, there's a revelation, maybe the greatest moment that will help us understand how much God loves you. How much he loves me. It's like holding a loved child for the very first time. It's amazing, friends. Hear me, God loves you. Would you say it to yourself again? God loves me. God loves me. One author put it this way. There are no dimensions of the breadth, length, depth, and height of his love that we can even begin to measure. The second reason we struggle is because there's so many poor examples of love in a fallen world. Oh, my, I worry about people all the time because they have so struggle with God's love. Let me just give you some reasons. How could he love me? I don't love me. All I can say to you is that he does. You don't have to deserve it. That's the whole thing. That's why he does it freely. He does it freely. He chooses to love you. You don't have to deserve it. You don't even have to love you for him to love you. And if you let him love you, you might actually learn to love you. I made a mess of my life. I'm not worthy of his love. That's good news. You're not worthy of his love. I know none of us are. That's the point. Only God could love us. That's right. He does. He actually makes us lovable. I, I, I know people make Some of you have made a mess of your life. And God loves you anyway. I've failed at love too many times. Oh, my goodness, broken relationships. I've been involved with our college a few times. I love students. <laughs> it's amazing how many times they fall in and out of love. It's, uh, and they always tell their whole story, and they don't know how to break up, and we won't get into all of that at the moment. It's okay, you know, but sometimes it makes it hard to trust again. Try God. He'll prove trustworthy. I rejected him too many times. Why would he still want me? <laughs> I love the fact that it doesn't matter how many times we turn away from God, he never turns away from us. I am too imperfect. I could never be a Christian. I don't know what Christians they saw, but folks, listen, we don't start out perfect. And perfect has nothing to do, nothing to do with how we behave. It has to do with the heart. And God did not save you to make you perfect. He saved you to make you his. I am used to a flawed love. Do I really want this perfect love? Yeah, I think you do. I think you do. Oh, dear. I'm a sinner. How my sin keeps me from God. We see that's the whole heart of the gospel. God came to save sinners, you and me. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. 
God gave his son. God knew exactly what he was getting when he chose to give you his son and to love you. And he loves you anyway. Would you do me a favor? This won't take long. You can't take long because I only have a few minutes left of this message. Would you stand for just a minute? Just stand wherever you are. I want you to go to five people and say these words to them. God loves me. Go ahead, do it right now. Tell five people, God loves me. Just five now, just five. Okay, you can be seated. And, and I love the Greek tense of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, because the Greek tense tells us this is not a one-moment thing. This is not momentary. This is eternal. God chose to love you. And when he loves you, he loves you Forever. And one of the ways we know that is because this wasn't even our idea. This is his idea. This is God who comes to us first. God comes to tell us he loves us because he loves us. Let me give you some scripture. You know all of these. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. I love this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, friends, he loves you. He loves me. That's why he came. That's why he gave his son. That's the reason. That's the motive. The fact is, the action is he gave his son. But the motive is, he loves you. And he loves me. Only Christians can really know this. Only Christians really grasp this. And in some measure... We don't grasp it fully because we're still human and sin still touches our lives. But my prayer is that over the time we're together that God will grow us in his love and our understanding of his love and that we'll know he loves us more tomorrow than we did today and next year than we did this year. I, I just, one of the things that I look for when I get invited to be an interim is I look for some message or messages that I feel I need to start with. I've never preached this message before. I never saw this truth before. And God laid it in my heart, and that was one of the incentives for me to say yes to come. God loves you. God loves me. And I was pondering this in the night last Monday night and thinking about all of this, and I was reminded, oh, probably 20 years ago, I have odd sleep patterns. I've been like this my whole life from the time I was just a kid. I remember my dad getting up in the night to go to the bathroom and kind of yelling at me because my light was on and I was reading at 2 in the morning. So I go to bed and I go instantly asleep. 
you, you don't know me well enough to say this, but I might as well say it anyway. My wife really struggles to get to sleep, and I'm, I'm asleep in less than 20 seconds. And I just say to her when she talks to me, I said, well, if you just treated me better, you'd go to sleep quicker. <laughs> and she laughs like you did. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't pay attention to that at all. But if you've been married 54 years, you can tease a little. You get away with stuff, see. And then I sleep two or three hours, and I wake up, and, and I'm awake for an hour or two. And then I go back to sleep and sleep the balance of my sleep. I've been doing this forever, years and years. I usually get up and I read and I pray and I think and I write and I catch up with the sports or whatever. One night I went to get out of bed and I just felt the Holy Spirit just stop me. I lay back and I just said, God, what are, you, are you trying to talk to me about something? I just felt him say no. But I want to remind you of something. I want to tell you again that I love you. And the presence of God so filled the room, my heart and my soul, I just felt this overwhelming sense of his love. I don't know how long I lay there, at least a half an hour, and the tears were coming. I was, I was loved by God. I've been a believer for 30 years probably by that time, and I just needed, maybe I just needed to be reminded. And I remember leaving that moment and getting up and, I just knew that was my mission from that moment on. Whatever else he called me to do was to remind people that he was a God who loves people. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And, and I've been trying to do that ever since. And some of you need that today. And I was so aware as I walked out of that room that night in the middle of the night, I was so aware that it wasn't a message for me only. It's a message for all of us. Would you say it quietly? God loves me. God loves me. Say it. Some of you really need to believe that today. Some of you need to know that today. All the excuses aside, it has no bearing on them. And that's my prayer for us today. That the hurting and the wounded and the distant and the lonely ones would know once again or for the first time. The wonder of his boundless and endless love. We're going to sing a song at the end that will help confirm that. And friends, it's more than a feeling. It's a truth. And he doesn't stop there. He does love me. And you're a me. But he also loves you. Take a look at the people around you, would you? Look at all the people around you. Do you know that you're sitting with a whole bunch of people that God loves? Wow. Think about it now. <laughs> everybody in this building today and everybody going to listen to this message when we're done, God loves you. Now, can we do it one more time? Only three people this time. Would you stand and say, God, I can't be family member. Cannot be a family member. They should have told that already, Okay. Would you stand and say, three people, God loves you. <laughs> I 
Thank you. You may be seated. Are you ready for this? This is really important now. It's true. God loves everybody around you as much as he loves you. I often wonder what the body of Jesus would be like if we really believed that, if we really practiced that. I wonder, I wonder if we had disagreements, how we would disagree if we really believed that. I, I, wonder, I wonder how we would serve. I wonder, I wonder what we would be like if we really, really believed that. You see, I believe, I believe that I need to love others because God loves them. And I actually need to learn to love them the way God loves them. Not just because, but the way. It needs to become the motive for my interaction in the body of Jesus. It's the reason I serve. I don't serve to get accolades. I serve because God loves the people I'm going to serve, and I want to love them because God loves them. And if that's true, then everybody should serve in some measure. I have a... Don't kick me out for this, okay? I have a wife and I have a girlfriend. My girlfriend is 97 years old. And I had the privilege of being with her when she was filled with the Spirit as a young married woman. I had the privilege of dedicating her children. I had the privilege of eating meals in their home and watching her husband respond to me eating his food and he started to come to church. And I had the privilege of walking off an altar at the service platform at the end of a service and inviting him to know Jesus. And he came to faith and he's gone to heaven now. And I had the privilege of reconnecting with her after many years when I was working as an interim in Montreal. And from that moment on, she calls me every month. Not really a girlfriend, but you know what I mean to see how I am. She says, I just want to hear your voice, Pastor Bill. She never complains. She never whines. She just, the conversations are short. And I think, I'd like to bottle you and make pills out of you so I could give them to everybody. (laughs) Just loving people as they are. You've discovered, I hope, that it's not always easy. Have you discovered that not everybody's lovable? Is there ever a moment when you're the one who's not lovable? God never stops loving you. So God becomes the motive for our interactions with one another, the reason why we love one another, the actions that we take towards one another. And I confess to you, I want to learn to love his body more and better. I pray that will be your prayer as well. Look, look, look what the Bible says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you is a grievance against someone, forgive us the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." God makes a radical statement about loving one another. It's radical. It is life-changing. It is church-changing. Are you ready? Here it is. A new command I give you. 
I've got rid of the 613 commands in the Old Testament. I've got a couple of new ones for you. But here's a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Wow! Can I say we'll unpack that a little bit from time to time as we go along. There's a third message in here. God doesn't only love me, you or me. Not only does he love you, but he actually loves them. Have, have you ever wondered about the world of Jesus' day? That's a map that shows basically the known world of Jesus' day to some degree. Most of it was the Roman Empire. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to ask you for a quiz. You don't have to tell me the countries involved at the end. There's no quiz to pass this message at all. Jesus loves them. It's a very interesting thing, you see. So what the Bible says, he came unto his own. He came to Jerusalem and they did not receive him. And then he came to the Roman Empire. Just understand, the Roman Empire was not polite or kind. The Roman Empire used the cross as crucifixion. And we'll talk about that come Easter, I'm sure, if I'm still here. But somebody else will, well, if not me. Folks, listen. The cross, Jesus is not the only person who died on a cross. Hundreds and thousands before him and hundreds and thousands after him. It is a sign of man's inhumanity to man. This is a barbaric culture. They practice prejudice and racism. They practice infanticide. If you had more children than you wanted, you could take a child and put them in the woods or you could put them by a river and walk away and leave them. If they survived, it was up to them, a newborn. How do they survive? They don't. But you don't know. You're not part of murder because you weren't there when they died. Just in passing, when the Christians started to really have impact, they would collect those little abandoned children and they would bring them in their homes and raise them. By year 65, Nero was already persecuting Christians. If something went wrong in the world, they blamed the church. And Nero invented a couple of things, folks. He fed people to lions and he burned them at the stake. Not nice. That was the first of 11 persecutions by the Roman Empire. Uh, the last one ended in 311. And what does God say? Amazing now, thinking about it. When the time had fully come, at the perfect time, the right time, in a world that was lost in sin and marked by destruction and marked by pain and suffering, in a world that was completely anti-God in so many ways, in the, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son born of a woman, born under the law. Why? What's the motive? Love. The motive is to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to the sonship. Uh, sorry, a little typo on my part or the way I collected it. To sonship. God loves us. But he loves you. But he loves a fallen world just as much. He loves them. Can I tell you that God has ruined me? He has. Here's my problem. I have never met one person that God does not love.
And my job is to love them too. Be wise the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. Season with salt so you may know how to answer everyone. It's amazing to me how many times I meet people and the first thought that goes through my head is, do you know that God loves you? So right now we have in our life a friend, probably five years now, he drinks a little more than he should and I keep telling him how much I care about him and I pray for him all the time. Sheila and I pray for him almost every day. Not when I'm away like this, it's a little harder, but when we're together, we pray for him every day. He's a wonderful person. He's a wonderful person. Every once in a drinks too much, he calls me and tells me how wonderful I am. <laughs> Can't say it when he's sober. God loves him. I have a friend who's in the medical profession that I've known for 40 years, more than that. My goodness, 76, I'm 86, so probably 60 years, 58 years. He was hurt by the church. He was hurt by life. He's had some marriages messed up. He's an angry, bitter person. And I call him and I listen to the rants. And God loves him. I just want him to know that. I just want him to know that God loves him. I was out picking berries. I can't sit still, so I was out picking wild red raspberries, and this couple drove by me, and they saw me picking berries. They said, what are you doing? I said, picking berries. And they said, oh, we'd love some. Well, we have some on our property. We'd like to pick them on our property. I said, sure. So I went and picked berries on the property. To thank them, I gave them some jam that we made out of them and some mar marmalade and Next year, we were back making berries in the same area. They said, oh, we love that. We like the berry jam, but we really love the marmalade. Can we pay you to make some? So now we started a relationship with them. They're wonderful people. Do they know that God loves them? I don't know. I pray I'm one of the people that gets to tell them. You see, here's the deal, folks. Love changes the world. The last persecution of Christians was... In 311, by 313, Constantine declared that Christianity was the love, was the religion of the empire because love wins. God loves them. And I need to love them. And I need to love them for two reasons. Because I was one of them. I was one of the lost, broken, beat up once, band come. I was one of them. And I know I'm loved by God. And you are one of them, and you are loved by God. That's how we're supposed to see a fallen world. That's supposed to be the motive in our heart. And the Bible tells us that he is a giving God. God gave. And the motive of John 3.16, for so God so loved the world. He loved me, he loved you, he loved them. That's his motive. God loves me. I picked this picture on purpose because it's a picture you could actually color. I probably should have copied it and given it to you to color. Never thought of that to this minute. Because you get to color it any way you like because God's love for you is different from anybody else's because you're different from everybody else. And God loves you. <laughs> 